Welcome to the Industrial Automation Insider Podcast. My name is Matt Van Bogart, and I'm Senior Business Development Manager here at Zebra. <clears throat> and I work very closely with global partners, sales teams that spend time understanding and working with uh, customers within the industrial automation space. And <clears throat> today, I'm very excited to have two guests join me today to talk about some of the challenges that are facing manufacturing and automation these days. So first up is Jake Hall, who's better known as the Manufacturing Millennial. Uh, he's an engineer by trade and training and has been working in, in the field of supporting manufacturers and folks in operations to understand how to deal with uh, uh, skills gap, uh, worker, worker knowledge, uh, this whole transition between next generation uh, 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 folks coming into the trades, et cetera. So I'm very excited to have him join us, us today. Also joining us is Seth Rao. Seth is currently the director of global manufacturing strategy at Zebra. Uh, Seth has an extensive background working in this space, specifically for companies like Hitachi, Ventara, PTC, Schneider Electric, as well as working as an analyst for consulting firm Frost and Sullivan. So both Seth and Jake bring to this conversation years of experience in automation and manufacturing. So I'm very thankful to have you both on the show today. It's great to be pleasure here, man. To, yeah, pleasure to join you, Matt. And... Uh... Like um, the, I like the uh, description you had for Jake. Uh, so I, I'm perhaps the manufacturing graybeard. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we get to talk about the market from from a couple different perspectives then. So that's that's uh, that's good. So I wanted to start this conversation about some of the common challenges facing manufacturing today. You know, there are all sorts of information in the press and news about you know labor shortages, supply chain bottlenecks. Uh, changing expectations from customers, et cetera. And I really wanted to get both of your perspectives in terms of what you're seeing in the market, uh, what people you are talking to and what they're saying, and perhaps trying to understand what companies can do when they're looking ahead to their business in 2024. What are some of the major things that they should be focusing on in terms of their planning efforts for 2024? So Jake, I know that you've been really focused in this space over the course of the last year and a half coming out of the pandemic. I'd love to hear some of the inputs or some of the feedback that you're that you're seeing and hearing from from folks when you're out in the field. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that we need to do is is address what the general public thinks of when we hear of manufacturing and 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 the issues that are around that. So when we think of manufacturing, what we hear of manufacturing, it's it's the general news and the public and you know even your parents are saying hey automation is going to take your job robots are going to take your job technology is going to take your job and and so immediately from a very young age or from when a a, a younger um person is looking at what type of career they want to go into or what type of profession or education they want to go into they immediately hear that manufacturing or automation or warehouses um, you know, is an industry that is not going to be long-term capable for you because, you know, they might have jobs now, but they're not going to have jobs for you in five years. They're not going to have jobs for you in 10 years. And, and, and there's, and there's, I would say our own industry fault for that. We saw a shift going back in the eighties and nineties, where we saw a lot of jobs leave, uh, you know, this area and the head overseas. And there's truth to that. But I think what we're seeing now is we're seeing this 
revitalization of what manufacturing is now, where now manufacturing truly has become a global scale process where we're in a totally global mm-hmm. manufacturing economy now um, where there isn't necessarily these isolated um, manufacturing areas uh, uh, across the world. You know, everyone's interacting with everyone. Everyone can buy from anyone. Anyone can source from anyone. Um, so now all of a sudden when we come to this great common denominator of the, the capability of manufacturing, manufacturers need to look at other ways to to drive productivity. And, and I guess you could even say um, future security of their company in the road ahead. And, and I think that that's done by a couple of ways. One is by what we're hearing now from companies is the successful adoption of new technologies and automation. So there's a lot of buzzwords that are out there. There's, there's robots, um, you know, there's digital twins and digital solutions based around manufacturing where manufacturing is no longer just this, I guess you could say, physical industry. It's just as much of a digital industry as it is a physical industry now when it comes to products and solutions. But now what we're seeing is um, manufacturing is now an industry that I think is truly focused around people than just the processes itself. Um, and, and because I think what we hit is we, we, we did hit a certain wall when it came to the capabilities of what automation and technology can do on its own. Now, AI is going to transform the industry. We're going to see a a larger shift when it comes to AI and technology over the years. Um, By the end of the day, AI is a tool. It's not a great solver of of stuff. And so what needs to happen is we still need people. And that's kind of where the second point it comes into is the adoption of technology, but also the, the recognition that people bring to the industry. Um, you know, one of my favorite moments was listening to a, an Elon Musk interview and he says, automation is hard and we don't give enough recognition to the people that are in manufacturing that do those jobs. And I think that's the big thing right now is we really begin to realize the importance of people, the importance of frontline workers in manufacturing and the importance to keep them here. But we're ultimately facing the problem where in the U.S. right now, there's 700,000 unfulfilled jobs in manufacturing because of the lack of skills and available you know, people to do those jobs. But we're going to see a massive threshold within by 2030 or 2035. Those numbers can be well over 2 million. Um, so the, the next generation of millennials and Gen Zs is what is going to be fulfilling those jobs. And we need as an industry to, to focus on how do we better attract those generations who have a different mindset and how they want to work. They have a different mindset of how they want to pay, be paid. They have a different mindset of how they want to have personal and professional growth. They have a different mindset of what it's like between um, working for a company, but also having a life outside of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those are all things that are really becoming to the forefront of a, uh, a true um, collaboration of emerging technologies and emerging generations. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, I see. I see and hear similar things as well. You know, just obviously reading the news, but also being out talking, talking with partners and visiting customers. Certainly, those are topics that are that are that are front and center, at least here in North America, which is where I've been spending my most most of my time recently. So, Seth, I wanted to get your perspective. You know, Jake talked a lot about. You know, convergence of, of, of people in technology. And I know that you've spent a lot of time evangelizing the convergence of OT and IT. I'd love to get your perspective in terms of what you see happening in that convergence. And 
are there specific things companies and manufacturers are doing to plan ahead for that convergence? And what are some of the things that, uh, that they should be thinking about as they, as they look ahead to 2024 and beyond? Correct. No, thank, thanks for the question, uh, Matt. So I'll give you two anecdotes. You know, I started my career in manufacturing a good 20 years ago. So, um, and then this was for an international engineering procurement and construction company. Uh, we were setting up large, um, you know, refining units, et cetera. And the moment we got a contract, the first thing we were told was within two weeks, you need to specify for the control valves and release the orders. Uh, it was like, why? I mean, this is, you know, we designed the whole project first, but it was like, look, the lead time for control, control valves is 36 months, uh, almost three years. And so uh, by the time, I mean, so, so, so you need to focus on, on getting the most important things done first, right? And 36 years is roughly close to about 144, 145 weeks. Um, and, and so fast forward uh, 20 years, and now, uh, and very recently, I visited a Midwestern uh, electrics company. They are actually a welding company, but they've developed, you know, exotic uh, metallurgy and, and, you know, capabilities around 3D printing. And it takes them one week to produce one of these control valves, mm -hmm. right? So from a convergence, a technology, uh, you know, maturity, and, and then supply chain perspective, there's greening of the supply chain, there is focus around newer technologies, which are disrupting conventional processes around, you know, how, how we do things, et cetera. And, and to your question around IT and OT, this is completely changing the way we kind of operate with people, processes, and technologies, right? And so typically on the IT and OT side, people, you know, five years ago would say, oh, you know, it's all about culture. You know, they have a different KPI. How can you get all of them to work together? But really now it's kind of morphed beyond the, just that cultural glue mm -hmm. into looking at what are new technologies on the IT side. So if you look at new technologies on the IT side, there's AI, there's, there's workflow, things like that. Uh, and then on the OT side, newer set of technologies, like you, know, you, have machine, you have machine vision, you have mobile robotics. Robotics in, in, in the early days was all kind of you know, behind fenced curtains, then it moved into, okay, light curtains, and now they are moving along with workers, right? And so so this concept of ITOT, in my opinion, is now not around the conventional aspects of convergence, but around newer aspects of combinatorial innovation, which is how can I mix and match? How can I use an IT system to order when I'm running short of, of human resources on the shop floor because of either attrition or aging workforce or you know, just, just people not wanting to look at manufacturing as, as, as a long-term uh, career. And, and you know, for, uh, in my interviews with customers, they kind of come back and say, well, you know what? We have attrition as high as 40%, right? So people work for um, a week and a half and then they're like, hey, I don't like manufacturing anymore, right? And, and so, the ability to use these new technologies in, in more fulfilling ways, giving uh, a new sense of purpose to young engineers who are very creative, you know, who, who want to use these new technologies as smart handle device, you know, almost like, uh, you know, looking at gaming as, 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 as the opportunity to kind of, you know, drive productivity metrics. And then there are 
certain software companies who are also kind of you know trying to bring that gaming element into manufacturing, making it more attractive for the uh, you know young workers. So, so those are some you know macro to micro changes that I'm seeing. Yeah, it's amazing because I hear about how all of the all the high tech tools and software capabilities and technologies that the OT side of the business now has and, and, and manufacturing really has become high tech. So just to add, add an anecdote to yours, Saf, uh, last week I was at Dreamforce uh, in San Francisco and I was surprised by the number of sessions and events and topics that Salesforce.com had around manufacturing operations, uh, field support, et cetera. Etc. This is not something that you would have thought of, uh, you know, perhaps maybe even five years ago from a company like Salesforce. So they're drawing in a lot of young engineers, young people, young workers that may maybe maybe traditionally have been geared towards like IT or writing applications or working as a software engineer. But a lot of those platforms are making themselves extremely relevant on the shop floor and on the factory floor. And I think that that's a that's a huge opportunity for young people that are looking to make a difference and understand how they can, you know, give back to manufacturing in North America, as an example, as a, as, as, as a way to leverage kind of their, their background and growing up being someone immersed in the digital world and bringing that into something that can be extremely relevant for, uh, for the future and for, uh, for manufacturing in particular. So, no way. Yep, very well said. In, in fact, it's like you know bringing retail-like experiences into the manufacturing floor, right? Not just for the worker, but also for the manufacturing customer. You're giving them visibility and things like that. Yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. So, Jake, I wanted to ask you. You know, are there are there things that you've seen on from IT side or from an engineering side that is kind of shaping your viewpoint of what high tech means in manufacturing and operations? Are there, are there things that you've heard of or maybe even seen personally that could really help capture the interest of, of a young person that's possibly looking for a career and wants to understand, you know, what are some of the things companies are doing in this space that could be really exciting? Yeah. I, I mean, kind of just to bounce off of what, you know, we're talking about with IT and OT earlier with, with, with SAF was, the visualization of data and the visualization of the direct impact that an employee can make to the company and see how what they're doing in terms of like either it's production or how they're affecting what's happening that day, I think is ext extremely important. It's the idea of like gamification, right? Yep. Millennials and Gen Zs love data. They love metrics. They love after playing that video game to see what was their accuracy ratio or what was their favorite, you know, tool or 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 you know thing that they use in their video game that directly transfers to manufacturing when we're able to go out there and we're able to show them from a visual perspective what their real-time impact is on the manufacturing floor i think it's significant you know when we go out there we look at gamification of let's say um in a warehouse facility where they're doing third-party picking right you know you have 200,000 square feet of warehouse of shelves of product. They're going out there. They're grabbing that product out of that, you know, cardboard box or putting it on a robot or they're putting it on a cart and hauling it around. And they have that visualization. Companies are finding true success for rate, uh, success rate when it comes to digitalizing that information. So all of a sudden they can say, hey, who are the top five performers that day? 
what was what was your pick rate today mm-hmm. compared to what was your pick rate yesterday? And and giving that visualization, a lot of times I don't want to say necessarily gives an incentive, but it gives a direct closed loop of 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 how individuals can make an impact. And I think that's just the big thing when it comes to millennials and Gen Zs and you look at their characteristics, one of the biggest driving factors when it comes to why why company why people want to work for a company beyond the paycheck is what purpose do they have what impact do they create and what change can they do and and i think it goes and that's then that goes back to that vision that that digital question that you were asking matt is that companies who leverage digital interaction between their process and their and their worker to see see a, a, a significant growth in terms of productivity but also customer employee satisfaction as well right because uh, us as a younger generations we're glued to our phones we're glued to technology and companies that allow their employees to leverage digital technology what they're familiar with become a lot more susceptible to wanting to stay at the company versus leaving the company um so that's some of the some of the things that I've seen. I mean, the other thing that I just see companies embracing when it comes to like digital technology is it's truly a common denominator in terms of multi working but by working across multi-generational groups. Uh but also from from different demographics. I was at a uh, not even an hour ago before the session, I was at a local manufacturer conglomerate of here in in Michigan and there's companies that are completely rolling out a bilingual working group within the company. So it's, it's a 10,000 and plus employee manufacturer. It's a giant manufacturer, but they started over a year ago creating it. So all the technology, all the solutions, all the HMI screens, all the interaction was bilingual capable. And I think that's just the one thing that when we look at digital solutions from, from an analog perspective of writing, you know, on a piece of paper yeah. at one point in time, exactly. you never had that capability to have, multi-language, multi-interaction, but through digital solutions and transformation and, you know, building on that, you know, that OT layer on the manufacturing floor, you have so much more capability where all of a sudden manufacturers can reach demographics that never worked for them before, that that can reach groups of people that never came to work for that manufacturer because, hey, let's face it, most of manufacturing here in America is an English-speaking country, yet we're a country full of massive different demographics that are being pulled in regionally here in West Michigan. I think we've had like a a 75% increase of Hispanic people in working West Michigan. So they're like, Hey, no other manufacturer is changing the way they work to bring in a new community. They'll adapt and they found massive success through it. So, so it goes back to digital tools and technology enabling you to do things that otherwise you can't, you couldn't Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So Saf, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about as well is that, you know, this kind of goes around this, this, this whole focus around, you know, manufacturing being, you know, being close to uh, the market that it serves. And there's been a lot of talk both in Europe and North America about onshoring manufacturing back to the U S consolidating supply chains, um, I think, I think, I think Jake's examples and it is a very interesting one. How does a, how does a growing local manufacturer reach out and attract employees to come into their operations? I think that's a fantastic example. We talk about, 
<clears throat> automation investments, when we talk about onshoring, when we talk about you know, companies looking to supply, uh, uh, tighten their supply chains, <clears throat> what are some of the, or maybe what are two or three things some of these, some of these companies could be thinking about in 2024 as they're looking ahead to, to streamline their manufacturing and make their operations overall uh, more robust and uh, more integrated? Correct. So, so I'll, I'll start off by giving you two quick examples, perhaps, and, and to give you an international flavor. Recently, uh, I was in Eastern Europe um, a couple of months ago. We were doing a zebra manufacturing maturity model assessment for one of our automotive tier twos, or perhaps it was a tier tier three. Um, and uh, you know, they were uh, a feeder shop into you know one of the larger automotive companies, so they were making. Uh, the fenders for uh, these these uh, cars and uh, really this was in Eastern Europe as I said and you know they were running short of, of labor and so we did a plant walkthrough and we were on, on, on the mezzanine floor and kind of you know looking at the inspection bay and they had about six or maybe five inspection bays and only two were occupied and there were there was this petite lady who was kind of you know bent over this fender and she had a very swaying motion kind of you know looking at um the the, the fender and visually inspecting for defects mm -hmm. and aberrations etc and the gentleman kind of pat who was taking us along uh, around the plant pat me on my back and said hey don't look but this lady is from ukraine because look we can't get people to do this job uh, because it's dull and boring. And so for us, in, in our minds, it was like, oh, Zebra has uh, a recently acquired company called Matrox, and this, uh, which makes machine vision systems, which is great for actual visual inspections for defects. And, and you know, to your question on saying, hey, with, with the supply chain changes, onshoring, et cetera, the number one challenge people face is quality, right? Then, then they face issues around labor productivity and getting the labor to do these dull and dirty jobs and sometimes they, are, they, they could even be you know dangerous jobs and, and sometimes they are you know what we like to call them as dear jobs i.e uh, very expensive right so they start looking at robotics and, and almost all those technologies might seem at first glance that they are displacing humans but actually they are doing those jobs that humans don't want to do it's it's repetitive it's boring until unless they have some very you know, uh, tight compulsions like this lady from Ukraine, right? Um, and, and so that, that was a great example for, you know, using new technology to overcome some of these supply chain challenges, right? Uh, be it quality, be, be, be it labor, et cetera. Uh, the other example very recently was, um, again, a Midwestern um, uh, welding shop. And, and uh, you know, they, they were talking about, yeah, this is a small and medium business. Look, um, the number one jobs that are still vacant in the US, which, by the way, happen to be very high paying. Mm -hmm. And it's a quiz for you folks. You guys know what, what the number one manufacturing job. I know, I know we have UAW labor negotiations going on now, but uh, it's, it's the job of, of, of a welder. It's very difficult to get those you know, very good welding skills. And, and this guy is, is running a small and medium enterprise and, and is saying, hey, how do I meet my customer orders? I don't have enough people. 
and hey, I'm saying no to these orders. And very quickly, he sees the benefits of a robotic arm, uh, three, um, uh, three, three degrees of freedom, which can actually be taught to do this welding just by the automated motions. It kind of self-learns. And then you have machine vision cameras to inspect the quality of the weld. Suddenly now has doubled his business in, in, in about a year's time, right? So, uh, and, and initially, which, which was something like, oh, we need to go, you know, maybe import these um, products from outside the country. Uh, they are suddenly kind of saying, oh, you know, we could do this using technology, et cetera. So I think um, that that's the macro story that um, we are seeing around both, not just in Europe, but here in the US as well. Excellent. <clears throat> Are there, you know, Jake, you know, from your perspective as well, are there maybe two things you think companies should be looking ahead at and and and, and planning for? And I'll leave the I'll leave the canvas pretty blank. You know, yeah. it could be on any number of topics. But is there, you know, two things that continue to be front and center in your mind based upon a lot of the conversations you're having out there in your travels? Um, I and mean, what comes to mind right away, and that's the use of AI. And I, and I think that's the big thing from AI is going to be a tool that companies are going to be using at one end or the other. It could be the front office where you're using ChatGPT to do generative AI to create a marketing campaign for you or to write a memo on a new policy that's happening at work. Um, all the way to, hey, AI is being used by, you know, we're seeing a ton of it now for AI being put into robotics, automation and vision systems for inspection. The whole idea is to make, you know, technology easier to implement for companies, mm -hmm. um, you know, especially for those small to medium sized companies that, you know, that, that Seth was talking about. Um, so so I think one is companies need to embrace AI, but they need to be smart in how they do it. There's a lot of risks that come with AI. There's a lot of unknowns that still come with AI, but it's not one of those things that I would say you can turn a blind eye to for the next two years until mm -hmm. regulations and policy and all that stuff happen. Um, and then think you're going to get caught up. I think it's going to be a, it's, I think it's going to be a, a massive separator um, from that side. So the other thing I'm going to answer is a, a non-technical question because I'm hoping Seth might be able to touch touch more on that side, but it's the um, the power of company brand and perception. I think is the other big thing. Companies now need to realize that they are looked at from a online perspective by future employees, by future customers, um, at a, at a, on a daily basis now. And if you as a company are not establishing an online presence that views you as a positive company or customer to work with, you're going to have a really hard time attracting that next generation to come and work for you. Hmm. So, and I'm not saying you need to go out there and you need to build a multi-million dollar online social campaign that's going to turn you into a massive interactive thing out there, but you need to be showing, I would say, you need to be less focused on the products that you are bringing to the market mm -hmm. but more focused on the people that work for you uh, because people relate to people they don't relate to products and um, if, if they can go out there and show how is this company creating purpose how is this company mm -hmm. driving the success of their future employees how is this company investing in their employees beyond just a paycheck um, and i'm not talking about hey 
here's our new pizza party that we hosted for our employees on second shift. No, that's not great. You need to go out there and say, hey, this is how we advance the career mm -hmm. of the people. This is how we're investing in our local community to drive awareness to technology or to STEM or to show how that manufacturers impacting areas. So, and, and all that can be done through an, a social media presence that is doing that area. Cause like I, I still go online and I, I walked the trade show last year. And I just mentioned this because I, I have the numbers for it where 47% of the companies who were attending that trade show, who paid well over $10,000 to have a booth at the show, didn't even have an active social media account, either through Facebook, LinkedIn, or YouTube. And it blows my mind where those are all free platforms that we can put content and create conversations on, yet they, those companies still don't see the value of what online presences can do. Um, so that's the other big, that's the other second topic that I would hit on would be AI, how are you going to embrace that? How are you going to use it? And then the, the impact of, of of company brands and personal brands through social media as leveraging as a tool. Excellent. Saf, to you, two things you think companies need to be looking at and focusing on in 2024 to drive their businesses forward. I'll give you three. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's the three Ds like I, I like to call them, right? The first one is, look, if you're in manufacturing, you're, you're talking about your factories, you need to start looking at it as a digital factory, right? And when you really talk about digital, it's looking at ITOT convergence that I talked about before, right? Which is leveraging newer technologies, not for the sake of, oh, it's new, it's it's shiny, but how can I drive innovation on the shop floor, right? That That's the, uh, the, the first D. The second D is around, you know, digital entropy, a concept that uh, our, our CTO often talks about, which is and without, without really going into the world, world of metaphysics and then talking about uh, entropy and things like that. But, you know, the, the general idea is that with digitization, you have lots of data and really data is now increasingly being generated at the edge, you know, connected devices, IIoT and things like that. And, does it make sense to take all this data, put it back to the cloud or, you know, radio it back to a central repository in, in, in the shop floor and then drive analytics around it? It's, it's, you know, give insights where data is being produced. So the concept of digital entropy, therefore, is leveraging AI at the edge, which is intelligent devices, um, you know, smart cameras. We talked about AI right out of the box, right? Um, a smart camera which can diagnose and then detect, you know, quality issues, etc. And the third D is is um, around decision entrepreneurism. Is is that look when and I think all, all of us talked about this broad concept of look, it's profits. Yes, you need to generate profits, but there also needs to be purpose behind it. Mm -hmm. But really, um, to get and attract and, and retain talent. On the, on the manufacturing floor and, and perhaps even beyond outside the four walls of the factory, you need to give them a sense of empowerment so that they feel that they have access to data and they can take informed decisions that impact uh, productivity, that impact profits, everything else. So it's kind of um, instigating that sense of, of creative entrepreneurship, right? Um, in, in, the, in the worker who now kind of can feel empowered to take decisions which uh, drive change, uh, positively impact, uh, you know, the KPIs. So these three Ds, I think, are, are very important for 
not just 2024, but well beyond. Excellent. Well, hey, guys, I wanted to thank you for your time this afternoon. And I will ask that we maybe regroup in six months and take stock of what we've learned and what we've seen in the next six months. Jake, I'm sure I'll, I'll see you out, at the, out on the show trail at some point. So for our audience, a couple things that I want to leave you with is first off, please go and check out Jake's website, The Manufacturing Millennial, and find him on LinkedIn. Um, his content is, 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 is amazing. He somehow pulls in, uh, it seems like Jake almost daily, interesting videos and clips where you show operations and manufacturing. I have no idea how you come up with some of this stuff, but it is, uh, it's a treat to see, and it's good to see someone promoting, I guess, the positive side of manufacturing in, uh, in North America. Second of all, I would like to encourage you all to visit Your Edge blog and click on the podcast tab and catch up on past episodes of this Industrial Automation Insider podcast. And then lastly, if you would like to connect with SAF, myself, or anyone at Zebra, you can click on the Contact Us button on the page below, or you can find SAF and I on LinkedIn. So Jake, SAF. Thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you both soon. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. Take care.